This Stand Student Podcast is brought to you by Stand, a serious educational development initiative by Irish Aid. Learn more about the work that Stand does with young people across Ireland at stand.ie. The country of wonders, treasures, paradise. The lungs and heart of Africa. The land of conflict, poverty and injustice. Victim of its enchantment, where the wealth of its wonders seems to have fallen as some malicious spell on its history, its people and perhaps its future. A future that is braided slowly but firmly as we speak. And whether we know it or not, we all have a part to play. This podcast will bring us into the depths of this country's treasures. Treasures that hide in the profundity of its lands, in the form of diamonds and cobalt. We will explore cobalt as the new blood diamond, the scarce mineral that progressively replaces the ancient cold fever and opens the world to new opportunities but at the same time bring with them new challenges and uncertainties. Are you ready to embark on this journey? We do not hide any conditions in small print. As we progress, we will see how the situation in the Congo is a direct result of the Western world's demand and exploitation of its resources. This journey opens doors into the unknown, but it also touches our conscience. A touched conscience leads to action, and action leads to change. If you're brave enough to face the music, hop in. Let's start the journey. And welcome to our first episode of our podcast series on the DRC. My name is Maria Saldo Aldon and I am a current student of politics and economics at Trinity College Dublin. Today we're going to be exploring the history of the DRC but in all of these podcast series we're going to be exploring many other things to do with human rights, uh, international trade and the extraction of conflict uh, minerals especially with the extraction of cobalt. We're also going to be talking with different people that are both Congolese natives but also others who are working for the development of the Congo in terms of human rights campaigns and other uh, campaigns to raise awareness of what is going on in this country. So without further ado, let's start with this first episode. Before embarking in the intricate history of this fascinating country, let me give you some quick facts about the Congo. The Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, is a country situated in sub-Saharan Africa. The size of Congo is slightly larger than the combination of the areas of Spain, France, Germany, Sweden and Norway, and counts with around 84 million people. It is the most populated officially French-spoken country and the DRC is named after the Congo River, 
which is the second longest river in Africa after the Nile and the second largest river in the world. The DRC is an extremely diverse country, representing around 200 different ethnic groups and more than 250 dialects. In order to find a Congo with no reminiscent of colonial or Western influence, we must remind to the 15th century, before the Portuguese visited this lands in 1483. Before this, there are no written records and one must rely on archaeological remains and oral tradition to get an insight on what life would have been like. According to some writings by Portuguese and Italian explorers and missionaries, the founder of the Kingdom of Congo, as they found it when they first set foot here, was called Lucani Luanimi, probably born at the beginning of the 15th century. He ruled the Kingdom of Congo, whom he reunited, conquering and building alliances with different uh, provinces. The Kingdom of Congo was therefore prosperous and willing to trade with new Western sailors and merchants. From this moment onwards, and during the 16th and 17th centuries, European merchants, including British, Portuguese, Dutch and French merchants engaged in trade, exchanging guns and other goods for ivory and slaves. In the later part of the 18th century, a period of rising tensions in European nation-states, an increased competition arose for acquiring colonies, also known as the struggle for Africa. It was in the 1870s that the British explorer Henry Stanley took 900 days to travel from the eastern coast of, uh, of Africa to the western territory of the Congo. And these new explorations gave Europeans an insight into potential wealth that could be exploited and traded. Stanley's explorations received more attention by the Belgian king Leopold II than by his British compatriots, and as acquiring colonies appeared to be the trend of the time, Leopold II also wanted to secure an African territory. After the concession to start colonization in the Berlin Conference of 1884, he founded the Congo Free State with Boma as its capital in 1885. The period of King Leopold's reign in the Congo is one of the darkest periods in the country's history. Around 10 million of Congolese are estimated to have died due to exploitation or unfair execution. One of Leopold II's most exploited resources was rubber from wild rubber vines, which was later processed to make tires for the first cars as well as bikes. If people did not work to the demanded inhumane standards, they were tortured and in many cases got their limbs cut off. Pictures from these atrocities started to the first ever human rights campaign. After King Leopold's reign, Belgian colonial rule continued until 1955. However, in 1959, the Belgians started to lose control of the Congo's territories after different nationalist riots which started in Leopoldville, now known as Kinshasa.
General Chobe colludes with the mining companies to control the province of Katanga. And with the assassination of Prime Minister Lumumba, we now have a moral imperative to send in more peacekeepers. The United Nations, in deference to the Congo's wishes, has asked that once again, these peacekeepers come from Ireland. See? What? The UN was established to ensure that the nations of the world would never again engage in another world war. We are the second wave of Irish soldiers to be sent into the Congo. So far, it has cost nine Irish lives. The UN has given us this great honour to serve as peacekeepers. And we are proud to accept. We are a country that has never owned or tried to conquer another sovereign nation. As a neutral country, Ireland has chosen to never be the aggressor. That's why they've asked for us. And if anybody thinks we're to be taken lightly, we'll show them that they are very sadly mistaken. Am I right, soldiers? Yes, yes sir! What we just heard is an extract of the 2016 Netflix film The Siege of Jadotville, directed by Richard Smith and starring Jamie Dornan as lead character, which portrays the experiences of Irish soldiers in the conflicts which occurred after the independence of the Congo in 1960. It is a truly fascinating movie that I really recommend you watch. What happened in Congo during these years in the midst of the Cold War is something that has remained in the shadows. Perhaps, who knows, intentionally, and which writes many controversies about behaviors of the US, France and Belgium, among other Western powers. The conflict was such that there was even an open possibility of it escalating into a third world war. Excuse me, I want you to be our man on the ground. This thing, this could lead to another world war. Yes. And everybody sees that. So the man who stops it, we get a lot of credit. We make up a plan. This movie also shows just the recently recognized bravery of Irish soldiers in the first independent military participation as part of the UN peacekeeping forces. The details of this intricate web of interests and international tensions are so complex but we would need several podcast episodes to get a clear vision. Although the following lines try to offer a brief summary of the events, these are just light strokes about what happened exactly 60 years ago. In June 1960, the Congo obtained independence with Patrice Lumumba as Prime Minister and Joseph Kasabubu as President. However, another politician known as Moest Sombe along with Congolese army mutinies, declared the region of Katanga, the richest in minerals, independent. He was backed by Belgian troops, which were sent to protect Belgian citizens and especially mining rights. Prime Minister Lumumba asked for help to the UN peacekeeping forces. At first, the UN refused to send help to the Congo, 
so Lumumba turned to the Soviet Union for help. The UN Security Council voted to send troops to help establish order, but the troops were not allowed to intervene in the internal affairs of the country. In September of that same year, President Kasavubu, along with Chief of Staff Mobutu, dismissed Lumumba. In February 1961, Mr. Lumumba was murdered, reportedly with U.S. and Belgian complicity. In August 1961, UN troops began disarming Katangese soldiers, and in 1963, Mwazzombe agreed to end Katanga's secession. A year later, President Kasabubu appointed Tombe as Prime Minister. After all these tumultuous events, many of the Belgians living in the Congo left, leaving behind an extremely poor country and with hardly, for not saying no natives, with the necessary education in terms of medicine, public administration or engineering to make their country progress. This really sounds like some kind of complex made-up thriller rather than political events. However, Congo, both in the past and currently, is a something of a crazy thriller indeed. From 1965 onwards, the Congo was ruled by the authoritarian leader Mobutu until 1966 when Tutsi troops from Luanda took over the eastern part of the Congo. In 1997, Tutsi and other rebels fighting against Mobutu, aided by Rwanda, captured the capital Kinshasa and installed Laurent Desir da Kabila as president. However, four years later, Kabila was shot dead by his bodyguard. Since the invasion of the Rwandan forces, there has been persistent violence in the country. And by 2001, the US refugee agency declared that about 2.5 million people had lost their lives in the conflict. Later that year, the UN panel also declared that the warring parties were prolonging the conflict on purpose in order to plunder gold, diamonds, timber and cotton. Joseph Kabila succeeded his deceased father as president. Nevertheless, conflict persisted in the northern eastern parts of Congo between UN and rebel forces. In 2006, free elections were held for the first time in four decades. Once again, Kabila came out as president and in 2007 Congo experienced a major outbreak of Ebola a deadly disease that has not been completely eradicated even to until today in February 2013 representatives of 11 African countries signed an accord in Ethiopia pledging to help end the conflict in Dior Congo the M23 rebel group declared a ceasefire ahead of the talks and its leader Bosco Zaganda surrendered the following month. Despite this, by 2017, the DRC was declared to be in a mega-crisis, with conflicts having forced 1.7 million people to flee their homes during that year. That same year, DR Congo was declared to be the worst affected by conflict displacement in the world. Meanwhile, President Kabila had been conducting alterations to the constitution to prolong his time in power. It is not until 2019 that elections were held. 
Felix Tshisekedi became the new president of the DRC. However, these elections were not recognized as totally free and democratic by all. To date, conflict, Ebola, human rights violations, and environmental exploitation have become the cruel routine in the Democratic Republic of Congo. As we can see, the lands of Congo have not witnessed peace for innumerable generations. The interests held by Western and neighboring powers in several of its regions have led to continuous bloodshed. In the much covered and ignored Congo's history, the US and many European powers cannot defend their benevolence. The DRC has witnessed too many injustices in the hands of the powerful, who seem to have covered their crimes with white impeccable gloves. This country has shed too many tears. The worst is that the fight seems far from being over. As a way of reflection, in order to finish this episode, I want to leave you with a poem by David Ribadieri that is entitled Stanley Meets Mateza. Such a time of it they had, the heat of the day, the chill of the night, and the mosquitoes that followed. Such was the time and the bound for a kingdom. The thin, weary line of carries with tattered, dirty rags to cover their backs. The battered, bulky chests that kept on falling off their shaven heads. Their tempers high and hot, the sun fierce and scorching. With it rose their spirits, with its fall their hopes. As each day sweated their bodies dry, and flies clung in clumps on their sweat-scented backs. Such was the march, and the hot season just breaking. Each day a weary pony dropped. Each afternoon a human skeleton collapsed, but the march trotched on. Its khaki leader in front, he, the spirit that inspired, he, the light of hope. Then came the afternoon of a hungry march, a hot and hungry march it was. The Nile and the Yansa lay like two twins azure across the green countryside. The march leapt on chaunting, like young gazelles to a waterhole. Heart bed faster, loads felt lighter, as the cool water lapped their sore feet. No more the dread of hungry hyenas but only tales of valor, when at Mutesa's court fires are lit. No more the burning heat of the day, but song, laughter and dance. The village looks on behind banana groves. Children peer behind reed fences. Such was the welcome. No singing women to chant a welcome, or drums to greet the white ambassador. Only a few silent knots from aged faces and one rumbling drum roll to summon Matessa's court to parley, for the country was not sure. The gate of needs is flung open. There is silence, but only a moment's silence, a silence of assessment. The tall black king steps forward. He towers over the thin-bearded white man. Then, grabbing his lean white hand, manages to whisper. <laughs>
Mutu Wepem Karibu. White man, you're welcome. The gate of polished reed closes behind them, and the West is let in. Thank you for listening to our first episode in our podcast series on the DRC. We will be publishing new episodes every week. In the next episode, we will be joined by Sesh, a former Trinity student and Congolese native, who will tell us about his experience both in the Congo and in Ireland. So don't miss out. Take care and see you in the next episode. Come on! Papa,
Tu ya kwetu enda matunda chilo bwe